0: Player Profiler Posse, welcome back to another edition of First Mover presented by PlayerProfiler.com. Now, week nine is behind us, and what a week it was. We had one clear and away top game environment on the slate that being the Buccaneers and Texans. CJ Stroud set rookie passing records on his way to 470 yards, five touchdown passes. Tank Dell, Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz, these guys all went over 100 yards receiving with at least one score. We had Rashad White on the other side, putting up two touchdowns, getting involved in the passing game on his way to the top running back score of the week. All five of those players were present on Utah Cow's Millie Maker winning lineup. So with that, it begs the question, what do we do with this recent information moving forward? So join us as we explore week 10 player pricing release on the first mover. Now, before we jump in, I do want to highlight two shows that have been doing some dirty work for us here on the Player Profiler Network. Saturday Night, The Dominator. It'll be hosted by none other than Billy Muzio and Bradley Stalder. It'll be on the Player Profiler YouTube as well as Facebook. Now, these guys are going to take your lineup questions for the coming week. The show will run at 9 p.m. Eastern, and Billy, as you know, has ranked first overall in the Fantasy Pros Ranking Contest while Bradley is high up this season and a top notched ranker himself. So get your start-sit questions in the chat prior to the show and have them answered live, on air, on the Dominator-only Player Profiler Network. Also, on Sunday at 12 p.m. Eastern, right before the fun kicks off for the week, only on Player Profiler YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, you will get The start or sit stream. There's a mix of player profile or content creators that go through, rotate through uh, throughout the season. Last past week, we saw Maddie Kiwoom and Matt Babich were on this week. I'm not sure yet, but you know we're going to bring the top-notch heat there. So another start, sit question or start, shit, sit show to get your questions in and get them answered live on air. So with that... Let's take a look at this slate. Let's make that a little bigger for you. How are we doing here? The Week 10 slate. From a top-level perspective, it looks a lot like the Week 9 slate. We have a lot of games that are kind of in this sub-40-point game total. Um, it, like Looking back at last week in Week 9, there were only 10 games on the main slate. Five of those games had a game total of 40 points or fewer. So let's look at this Week 10 upcoming slate. We have the Houston Texans traveling to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Game total of 46.5. Pretty solid. Dece, dece, nice. The Packers traveling to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. Game total of 37.5. The Browns and the Ravens, 38.5 with those two solid defenses. The Titans and the Buccaneers, 38.0. The 49ers at the Jaguars, 45.0. Got some potential there with those two solid offenses. The New Orleans Saints traveling to the Minnesota Vikings. Game total of 41.0. What could be classified as the potential game of the week? We'll talk a little bit about more of this one in a minute. The Detroit Lions traveling to Los Angeles to take on the Chargers. A game total of 48 and a half. Falcons, Cardinals, two, can we call them bottom feeders? I think we can. Two bottom feeders here, 42 and a half. The Giants traveling to the Cowboys with a massive 16 and a half point spread and a low game total of just 38.5. And then finally, your saviors, your pass heavy Washington Commanders taking on the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle, where we know their defense performs at a little bit higher level here, 45.5. So we look at the overall state of this upcoming slate and we see we have a lot more low game totals we have a lot more games with large spreads so when we think about and I think we got a great example from this past week we think about how we handle the fact that scoring is down around the league and the fact that we're kind of coming uh, from this area where we had all the way dating back to the 2020 season where scoring was up how do we handle those changing dynamics in the NFL as far as DFS goes? Well, we're kind of moving away from the standard DFS stack of a quarterback plus pass catcher plus a correlated bringback. We saw how successful that kind of plan of attack uh, as far as a DFS core was three, four years ago. Well, this year with scoring down, if a game vastly outperforms its expectation, a la the Buccaneers and the Houston Texans last week, then that an overstack in that type of game environment is so much more valuable to us as we're constructing rosters now because it because it is that much more unlikely that another game environment kind of matches it. And we saw that last week with the Buccaneers and the Texans. Five players from that game were in the Millie making, Maker winning lineup. That begs the question, what happens if a game environment does not severely outperform its expectations? Well, now we're into this realm of skinny stacks. So a quarterback plus a single pass catcher being theoretically optimal as our governing strategy. So we need to be mixing those two governing strategies or those two roster constructions in as we move forward, moving away from this quarterback plus pass catcher, plus a correlated bring back type of mentality. Two weeks ago, we saw a skinny stack once again, and we've actually, we're through nine weeks of the NFL season. About 70% of the slates that we've seen, the main slates that is, have shipped the Millie maker with this skinny stack with three of them. Again, about 33% uh, of the nine have a game overstack that is shipped. We've not seen a single millimaker winning lineup this season with the standard "quote unquote" DFS stack of a quarterback plus a pass catcher and a correlated bringback. So, moving forward, we need to be changing kind of how we're viewing building lineups and kind of get out ahead of this. And I've been preaching this all season, but I will continue to do so because we're still seeing mistakes being made from a theoretical perspective based on the state of the league that we find ourselves in. So with that out of the way, we mentioned the two shows we want to be highlighting here at Player Profiler Network. Let's really quick take a moment to hear from the Father himself about the DFS Dominator, which as we know, as we've talked about, is the new and improved Optimizer here at Player Profiler. <laughs>
1: dfs getting harder every year but we're here to make it easier with the dfs dominator because i know a lot of optimizers keep coming out oh our optimizer about this optimizer but that optimizer well we have a cash game optimizer that leverages the projections from dario billy the award-winning projections at playerprofiler.com and builds the best lineups for cash games that have both upside and stability because that's what you want. It's a couple clicks, boom, boom, boom. You get the best possible lineup for your cash games. But for tournaments, traditional optimizers don't work. That's why we have a lineup genius, which takes you through the process of building lineups the way they should be built. Which quarterbacks do you want to be overweight on? then building stacks, then setting runbacks, then optimizing, and generating up to 150 lineups that you can easily import into DraftKings, into FanDuel. That's the DFS Dominator. It's only $45 a year. Not not a week. A a year. A year. Just go to Player Profiler, click on the DFS Dominator from the menu, and you won't be sorry. And we're
0: back with the first mover. Now, we're going to take a look at some of the overall macro perspectives of this slate as far as player pricing. And we've gotten we've gotten fairly used to seeing fewer players priced above 7K. And that is also the case here on the week 10 main slate. We'll start at quarterback. And last week we had just two quarterbacks that were priced above 6,500 on this slate. We've got five, but as you see up, up the top, we have only one kind of cheat code type running or quarterback here in Lamar Jackson. We have Justin Fields who is off the slate. He is injured. He's playing. The bears are playing on Thursday night football. We have the Buffalo bills who are off this slate. We have the, um, we have the Philadelphia Eagles who are off this slate. So that takes, uh, both, Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts off the slate. So we're left just with Lamar Jackson as this kind of elite type upside quarterback. And I say just Lamar Jackson, because look at Justin Herbert here, man. The hype has been there for my guy out in Los Angeles, but the results have been lacking. And yes, we get it. Like Kellen Moore has had a lot to deal with. Justin Herbert has had a lot to deal with. Mike Williams was lost for the season. Joshua Palmer missed this past week after aggravating his knee injury. So they've been dealing with a lot and look, Quentin Johnson is not it. We know this, we understand this. So Justin Herbert is working with a tight core of just Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. And when they get matched up with an opponent that is able to take away first reads through the air, as we saw last night on Monday night football, we can see Keenan Allen struggle. And yes, Keenan is the truth. Keenan surpassed 10,000 receiving yards in Los Angeles in his 11th NFL season. We saw that, that amazing catch, all that, yes. But that does not change the fact that when you have an offense that is funneled primarily through two players, it kind of places some additional stress on an offense because there are fewer places you can go. We're seeing Quentin Johnson. We're seeing Darius Davis. We're seeing all these players who have been non-contributors in throughout their careers, uh, the short careers for Quentin Johnston. Um, But we're seeing these guys have to play some increased roles. So yes, Justin Herbert is not necessarily in that conversation of players that can truly put the slate out of reach. Now, honestly, where there's not a ton of options here for us, he gains a little bit of increased viability, we'll say, because if he puts up 30 points, which is, with well within his range of outcomes, it could matter because once we get into the idea of raw points, at some point, raw points begin to matter a little bit more than a salary multiplier type mindset. So continuing that discussion, we got CJ Stroud, Joe Burrow and Dak Prescott, all joining those two in the quarterbacks priced above 6,500. And now we're starting to get into guys like Jared Goff, Trevor Lawrence, Goff is in a good spot against a Chargers defense that has bled production to quarterbacks and to wide receivers. We got Kyler Murray coming back his first game of the season uh, against the Atlanta Falcons. We've got Sam Howell, who we saw his upside two weeks ago. We know that he can do it here for us. We know that they are extremely pass heavy. We know that the Seattle Seahawks are best attacked uh, through the air. We've got Derek Carr against Minnesota, blitz-heavy defense, blitz-heavy matchup there. Geno Smith, Brock Purdy, you get the picture as we start getting here down into the bottom feeders. So what does that mean? It becomes a little bit harder to justify paying up for these guys priced at 6500 or more unless we have some clear value on the slate. So let's continue our discussion and see if we do have any clear Value here, But I want to start before we get into that discussion with the quote-unquote potential game of the week here with the Lions traveling to Los Angeles to take on the Chargers. So we talked about the fact that so much of the offense is expected to run through two players here with the Chargers, Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. Now the matchup on the ground for Austin Eckler is non-ideal, but we kind of know what we're going to get with Austin Eckler. We're going to get, I mean, look at his tight range of opportunities here, between 14 and 16 carries in every healthy game this season. But what we're really paying for, for Austin Eckler, if we're paying up here all the way to 8,400, is his robust red zone role and his robust role through the air. Now, without Mike Williams, without Joshua Palmer, and we don't know, it's pretty early in the week. We don't know if Joshua Palmer is going to make it back, but I would guess he could potentially miss another week or two after aggravating that knee injury in week eight. So with those guys out of the lineup, Austin Eckler provides a solid, solid floor through his past game utilization. we look at the Lions, though, the Lions have been nails against the run, and they have a very athletic linebacking unit, which is primarily in charge of, covering the running backs out of the backfield through the air. So can we get an outlier-type game, Austin Eckler? Yes, 100%. Is it the most likely scenario? Probably not in this spot. That said, if this game environment blows up, it is highly likely to be primarily driven by a guy like Austin Eckler from the Chargers because we know that the Lions are okay grinding out victories they have a top-ranked offensive line, they have a top-ranked defensive line, and they are built from the trenches backwards. So if they, they all of that to say, the Lions are highly unlikely to be the driving force behind a game environment truly erupting, which kind of places the onus on the chargers to send this game environment into the stratosphere. And if that happens, it is highly likely to be coming through one of two players or maybe both players of Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. So all of that to say, if playing Austin Eckler, I would consider a game over stack type scenario in this spot. Otherwise, I'm highly likely to be looking elsewhere here at running back. On the other side of that spot, we've got David Montgomery likely returning to the active lineup. His 21-day practice window was activated. This past week, so we're likely to get David Montgomery coming back. And what that does, obviously, is it's going to reduce Jameer Gibbs' very torrid stretch that he has put up over the last two weeks. We've seen him return significant value against the Ravens, priced only 6300 putting up 27.6 DK points. We've seen him do the same thing against the Raiders returning 32.9 fantasy points. But again, we expect David Montgomery to come back. So that makes both of these guys much more valuable and viable in this kind of game environment type bet. I'd primarily be looking elsewhere unless it is tied to a game environment bet here. But we've got Keenan Allen and Amon Ross St. Brown, who are both the primary aerial functions of their offense. And we see... That said, they are both highly reliant on volume. But so far, the volume has mostly been there for these guys. We see Amon Ross St. Brown surpassed 100 yards receiving in four of his last games and contributed two touchdowns in those games. Ah, well, five of the last six games, Amon Ross St. Brown has surpassed 100 yards receiving. So once those touchdowns start coming, Amon Ross St. Brown is going to put up some absolutely electric fantasy scores. And this spot against the Chargers defense that has really been better attacked through the air, their secondary has struggled. And we've seen this with Brandon Staley's team here, and we know that he's kind of taken over play calling duties on the defensive side of the ball. We've seen his defenses just continue to really underperform the talent that they have on paper. So a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, they have not been able to take away an opposing offense's first read, which is going to be Amon Ross St. Brown. He is viable on his own. He is viable in game stacks. A guy like Keenan Allen, all the way up at 8,800. This is a guy where he is priced for his median projection because he brings steady target volume, 9, 10, 9, 11, 20, 10, 9 targets. Most of the time, Keenan Allen is finishing between 9 and 11 targets. So you're paying for the volume. You're paying for the floor. You're paying for the median projection. That said. With Austin Eckler back in the lineup, Keenan Allen is highly unlikely to provide or return a separator-type score, a score where you had to have it. Like in week three against Minnesota, where he threw for a touchdown, he went over, he went 215 yards, 20 targets. That type of production is highly unlikely to materialize with Austin Eckler in the lineup. So Keenan Allen is another guy that I would reserve for game environment bets from this spot. I would not play him outside of a full-on stack of the Lions and the Chargers. That's really it from the primary contributors of this offense. Yes, we have Josh Reynolds, who has not looked good. He has been struggling through drops. Yes, we have guys like Khalif Raymond um, and downfield threats here in JMO, Jameson Williams. But these guys are best reserved for game entire environment type bets especially a guy like Jameson Williams who can work downfield is not seeing consistent snap rates. He's being held between 30 and 40% snap rates, but in that downfield role, he can hit and go over a hundred yards, something similar to what we saw out of Rashid Shaheed two weeks ago, where he put up 153 yards receiving on just three targets and a score. So that is kind of what we're getting out of JMO. I would primarily reserve him again for those game environment type bets. So this is a spot where everyone outside of Amon ross St. Brown is probably best reserved for game over stacks. Placing a bet on this game environment being a, a kind of game environment that you kind of had to have or you were not winning akin to what we saw last week with the Buccaneers and the Texans. So with that, let's move over to the Texans and talk about because we've got another um, potential game environment here with the Texans that sets up well. But Luana Rumo's defense for the Bengals is fairly different from what we saw from the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are a team that blitzes at elevated rates, but is able to generate pressure at below average rates. So what that set up well for a guy like C.J. Stroud, C.J. Stroud is ranked third in the league in passer rating or PFF grade, and or, both of them, when blitzed. But when he's pressured, he ranks 33rd in the league. So that's set up really well for a matchup with the Buccaneers, who blitz at a heavy rate, but are not able to generate pressure at an elite rate. The Bengals, they blitz about the, uh, slightly below the, the rate at which the Buccaneers blitz, but they're able to generate pressure at a greater rate. And they're also playing zone coverages at a high rate. So while the Texans have dominated zone coverage, while the Texans have dominated against the blitz, there is that additional concern here that CJ Stroud has been extremely poor and rookie quarterback. We get it. He's been extremely poor when pressured and the spot sets up a little bit better, or I guess worse from his perspective um, as we expect him to be pressured a little bit more, but even so, We've got playmakers like Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase, that scary fall on his back when he was stretched out trying to catch that downfield pass last week. Um, labeled day-to-day, we know it's a back injury. It's it's sore. He's going to be sore. Um, but we expect him, I would think, to be out there this week. So when you get a game with guys like Nico Collins, Jamar Chase, Tank Dell, these guys that have been extremely efficient, on their targets this season. I mean, Nico Collins is ranked in the top 15 in fantasy points per route run against man and zone coverage this week. He was kind of the odd man out last week against the Buccaneers. We saw Tank Dell go crazy. We saw Noah Brown go crazy. We saw Dalton Schultz go crazy. Nico Collins kind of has this hangover effect, uh, potential flop lag spot here with Nico Collins absolutely destroying both man and zone coverage. Only five targets last week, uh, but with Bobby Sloick at the helm there of this Houston Texans offense, most definitely can get some stuff going here. So overall, I mean, we've got also Damian Pierce. We don't know if he's going to be back. He missed last week. That very clearly tilted Bobby Sloick's offensive game plan. to more pass heavy. And this is Bobby Sloick spent the last month of the season leading the league in first down run rate. We saw Damian Pierce get hurt and miss last week. And now all of a sudden, Bobby Slowick's like, hey, we should pass on first down. (laughs) Yes, yes, Bobby, you should. God damn it, Bobby. 19 pass attempts came on first down. Yeah, there were were a lot of passing from CJ Stroud last week. 19 passing attempts came on first down. You know what CJ Stroud did on first down pass attempts last week? Just went for 300 yards and four touchdowns. (laughs) 19 pass attempts. The dude absolutely cooked. So do we see that again? Does Damon Pierce come back? Do we see Bobby Slowick continue the pass heavy ways with CJ Stroud on first down? I don't know. I really, really hope so, Bobby. Let's go. Let's get this guy cooking. So that just introduces a wide range of outcomes. We could see this game play to an AFC slugfest. We could see these offenses truly open up. But that again opens up the possibility for a game overstack here. On its own, I'm probably looking at Nico Collins, I'm probably looking at Joe Mixon with his robust um workload. Yeah, Joe Mixon has not returned elite scores yet this season. But he has also only scored 3 touchdowns. If that number, you know, if he experiences some positive regression in the touchdown sc- uh section and we saw him put up a five touchdown game last season so we know that he can do it in this offense but again he's a guy that has not necessarily done it we know that his efficiency is not great (laughs) for three years now so Joe Mixon I'm looking at Joe Mixon I'm looking at Jamar Chase I'm looking at Nico Collins as guys that can do it on their own one good thing about the Houston or sorry, the Cincinnati offense is it's highly concentrated amongst Joe Mixon, against uh, amongst Jamar Chase, amongst T. Higgins. They don't utilize the tight ends at a heavy rate, and we know that Houston is best attacked um, through the air. The Texans tight end scene. We've seen Dalton Schultz get more and more involved in this offense. I mean, he has returned double digit fantasy points in four of his last five games. And we know that Lou Anarumo's defense really, really struggles to contain inline tight ends. We saw this last weekend when the Bengals took on the Buffalo Bills. Dalton Kincaid went uh, absolutely bonkers there, led the team with 11 targets, caught 10 of them. So we saw it a couple of weeks ago with George Kittle against the Bengals. This is a team that really, really struggles with inline tight ends. Dalton Schultz plays both inline and slot. Kind of like a George Kittle light. Extremely light, but light. George Kittle light. We'll just put it like that. But Dalton Schultz is a guy who can do it in this matchup again for the second consecutive week. We've seen his price come up a little bit, 4900 all the way up from 3200 in week four. So his price is coming up a bit. But double-digit fantasy points in four of the last five, a touchdown in four of the last five, and a guy that has very clear upside to Pierce, the double-digit targets. He's done it twice this season. So again, Dalton Schultz is a guy that can be played on his own. He can be played because of the matchup, because of how this offense is running. He can also be included in some game overstacks. So let's look at, we've got the two top expected game environments out of the way. Let's quickly look at the rest of the positions. We covered quarterback. Let's look at the rest of the positions, and we'll try and keep this one to 45 minutes for you. got some good feedback on keeping it shorter under an hour, so we'll try and do that moving forward. We have three running backs priced above 8K on this slate. Christian McCaffrey makes his triumphant, yes, triumphant return after not being on the main slate for two consecutive weeks. So we got CMC back. Also, Eckler, we talked about Alvin Kamara, man. Snap rate is dwindling with uh, healthy backfield running mates. We got Kendra Miller returning. We've got um, Jamal Williams returning. And Kamara's snap rate has really, really taken a hit because of it. We got really, really used to seeing Kamara in the 17 to 22 running uh, or sorry, rushing range, and we know that he carries elite upside through his past game involvement, but something I pointed out last week when Camara was chalk on the week nine slate is look at where he's seeing the targets, 14 targets in week four, 14 targets in week seven, those were both games where the Saints were playing from behind for the duration of the game, his normal range of targets, I mean, four out of his Sorry, three out of his other four healthy games, he's been between three and five targets with the the eight-target game against Houston, again coming in a game that they lost. So do we expect the Saints with that defense against Josh Dobbs in Minnesota to be playing from behind where Alvin Kamara's upside is really, really unlocked through the air? Probably not. So again, Kamara just feels extremely overpriced for what we expect from a standard range of outcomes here. Yes, he carries the elite upside, but Kamara is a guy, if I am playing him, I am 100% pairing him with a member of the Minnesota Vikings because Kamara's upside is unlocked in negative game script. So we know that Cam Akers is out. That leaves the bulk of the expected rushing production to Alexander Madison. Efficiency has not been there, but he's still a guy that is, we expect to be kind of workhorse status for the Vikings. Matchup is atrocious, but can he get it done through the air? We don't know. He is a guy who I would consider pairing with Alvin Kamara. We know Justin Jefferson is going to miss this week, but we've still got Jordan Addison. We've still got TJ Hawkinson. Some very clear. Look at this. Taysom Hill priced above TJ Hawkinson. That is just something you love to see, don't you, huh? Anyway, if playing Alvin Kamara, I would 100% want to have a stacking partner with a member of the Vikings. We got down to Alvin or Saquon Barkley in a terrible spot against Dallas. Likely going to have, God, we don't know who's going to start for the Giants. Is it going to be DeVito? Golly, I hope not. That offense does not look good. But we've got Tyrod Taylor's on the IR. We've got Daniel Jones. Likely going to be put on the IR towards ACL. So is it going to be Tommy DeVito? I don't know, man. Is it going to be Matt Barkley? Oh, God. Giants are in for it. Well, Let's hold on. I want to see something. Yeah, the Cowboys are priced at 4400 Dear God, I might just be playing them, man. It's a situation like last week with the Cleveland Browns, where it's like you just you you play them. They're clearing away the top expected defense on the slate. Anyway, we digress. You've got Derrick Henry here priced at 7,400. Tony Pollard, I'm never playing him until the end of time, until his role changes or how he's his utilization changes in this offense. Travis Etienne in a tough spot against San Francisco. What I'm trying to get at here, and the last player priced above 7K, Jameer Gibbs with David Montgomery expected back, who was also priced at around 7K. Look at that. What I'm getting at is what running back are we paying up for outside of CMC? There isn't anybody else on the slate to pay up for above 7K that we feel really, really good about playing. So what is that going to likely lead to? It's going to likely to lead to some additional ownership on CMC, although it's very, very difficult to play him at 9,200 unless we have some significant value opening up on the slate. Other than that, we're likely to see more balanced rosters at running back. We're likely to see guys like Aaron Jones, who is quote unquote unleashed. Well, they kind of made good. LaFleur kind of made good on that promise of unleashing him. Saw 20 carries against the Rams, saw six targets, 26 running back opportunities at just 6,500. Is something worth being interested in. Bajani, bro. Bajani, man, lost a fumble. Vastly outsnapped, vastly outtouched by Tyler Al last week. Rashad White coming off of that big game. Running back is ugly on the slate, and I'm just looking at it for the first time with Jaw. Running back is pretty ugly on the slate. Where are we getting any value? I mean, Jalen Warren and Najee Harris are both in a good spot against the Packers, but they're splitting work. We've got, golly, Keaton Mitchell in a tough spot against Cleveland. There's not a lot of, I mean, maybe Tyler, I, was like, yeah, I don't know, It's not really getting it done either. There's not a lot to love at running back. So we're likely to see a lot of Emphasis placed on Christian McCaffrey, but again, we kind of need the, val- the value to open up to play him at 9,200. Um, and then the other only other play that really jumps off the page to me is Aaron Jones against Pittsburgh, man. Uh, but outside of that, those are your top two plays on the slate from a point-per-dollar perspective. Moving on to wide receiver. We don't have Justin Jefferson on the slate. We talked about Keenan. We talked about Chase. CeeDee Lamb coming off a monster game. Again, consecutive weeks with 14 or more targets. And we see what a guy like CeeDee Lamb can do when he is the point of emphasis in this offense. But we also know that in games where the Cowboys' defense takes over, I mean, look at earlier this season, four targets against the Giants, first two time these two teams played, seven against Arizona in that loss, six against New England in that blowout win. So we know that CeeDee is a guy who can do it when the volume is there. We have to question, is the volume going to be there? this week against the Giants. Almond Ross St. Brown, one of the top point per dollar plays at the wide receiver position this week. Now we start getting into the Mike Evanses and the Brandon Iooks of the world. Mike Evans has not exactly lit the world on fire recently, but we know what he can do. I mean, he got tackled at the one last week. Um, That 12.7 would look a lot different at something like 18, 19 points, but we know what Mike Evans can do as the primary downfield threat in this Buccaneers offense against a Tennessee Titans defense that is still extremely past funnel. So I have some interest in Mike Evans at 72. Brandon, I can always get it done. Is Debo going to come back? We don't know, Um, but he was on the field for the practice. Uh, Got that update from Monday. We talked about Nico Collins, DK Metcalf man just continues to underperform, but DK Metcalf is the primary target earner, against man coverage. When we look at the Washington commanders defense. We know that they run man coverage at an increased rate, and we know that they get burned downfield. DK Metcalf is now his role in this offense. This year is a lot more downfield than he has been in the past. He has a top 15, a dot depth of the target. So DK Metcalf. Yeah, he's got, I have some interest here at 6,800. Continuing, T. Higgins, we talked about Nico Collins, we talked about Chris Olave, man. Good Lord. Can this guy get it going for us? We're waiting. All the underlying metrics are there for Chris Olave. We keep waiting for the breakout to happen. Can it happen against Minnesota? We know Minnesota is the most blitz heavy defense in the league. Ideally, we're not looking at downfield type roles against elite blitz rates, but. Chris Olave has a good mix of intermediary work where he can return some upside at only 6,400. Mari Cooper, the primary facilitator in Cleveland, talked about Debo Samuel, Tyler Lockett, another guy like DK Metcalf who can return some elite production on more modest target volume. He only has one game all season. Double-digit looks, but he does have two games at 22.1 fantasy points or more, and we know that he has double-digit ups, uh, touchdown upside within his range of outcomes. DeAndre Hopkins, this this Tennessee Titans Tampa Bay game is very interesting to me because both of these defenses are extremely pass funnel. They filter a lot of production through the air. Vita Vea came back for the Buccaneers last week against the Texans. Uh, So this is a spot where I do have some interest in the pass catchers from Tampa Bay and Tennessee, even though the pass offenses aren't exactly elite, but both of these spots, I mean, Deandre Hopkins at only six K we just talked about Mike Evans. We've also got Chris Godwin here. All these guys bring upside in this spot because the matchup just tilts so heavily towards the air talked about Jordan Addison. I want to see if there's any really value that we can feel good about I mean, Romeo Dobbs, Deontay Johnson potentially, but the Packers are very, very uh, prevent style defense. We're likely not. I mean, the the volume could line up for Deontay Johnson. We know he has elite target earning ability. But again, uh, we're likely not going to see many splash plays against the Packers. Same for George Pickens, Marquise Brown coming off that absolutely atrocious game. But he is getting his quarterback back. So there could be some upside there for Marquise Brown, but eh, maybe not Christian Watson, man picked up like three additional injuries last week. He has been extremely uninspiring John Dotson, potentially against the Seahawks in that downfield role. Um, Yeah, there's not a lot to love here. I mean, Rashid Shahid has the potential to get work in downfield. We saw it two weeks ago, but his snap rate has really taken a hit only three targets in consecutive weeks. Not a lot to love there. There's not a lot of value on this slate, guys. I mean, people are gonna go back to Noah Brown after his outlier performance? I don't know, probably not. Yeah, there's not a lot to love, so that kind of dents a little bit of the CMC love that we had from a little bit earlier. Let's look at tight end. We know Mark Andrews is the is the truth, but he's playing a Browns defense who ranks number one against tight ends. We know George Kittle can do it against anybody. I'd be much more interested in George Kittle if Debo Samuel misses again. Sam Laporta is a guy that we did not talk about when we talked about the Lions, but he is a high contributor in this offense now. um, I would be definitely interested in Sam Laporta included in my Lions and Chargers stacks. We talked about Taysom Hill and TJ Hawkinson. We talked about Dalton Schultz. When we get down here into the value range of tight ends, Trey McBride's still viable um, in a high expected volume type role, Kate Otten's a guy who we hit on last week. Um, I highlighted him as one of the top plays at tight end, but uh, he's has top five ranks in targets per hour or not targets per route run in route participation rate in snap rate. He has not been earning the targets at a rate that we would want to otherwise see. But any player with that level of involvement in his offense can see uh, volume at any given moment. But again, there's not a lot to love down here in the bottom range of tight ends. So where is the value coming from? We want to be paying up for defense. Well, <laughs> the field doesn't like paying up for defense. But on this slate, I want to be paying up for defense. Dallas is clear in a way, top defensive option. So finishing this up here, cleaning us up. There's not a ton of projectable, median projectable value on the slate, at least where we sit on Tuesday morning that said, we could get some stuff opening up later in the week. So that's going to condense some ownership. And then the other kind of macro perspective is running back is really, really tough on this slate. We have CMC, we have Aaron Jones, and then kind of everybody else. So running back is going to be a primary decision point. Defense is probably going to be a primary decision point. And then we're over into our game environment discussions. So with that, Keeping my promise to you all, keeping it under 45 minutes. I know it's hard to hear me rambling up here for too long. But as always, you know what's up, man. I am Hilo. This was First Mover. Go check out those other shows that we highlighted for your start-sit questions at the end of the week on Saturday, on Sunday. And with that, take us away.